All right, so today we have another amazing podcast, which I'm really excited about. Uh, my friend Tina, we've how long have we known each other? It's been about a year now. I'd say a year, a little over a year, maybe. A little over a year. Um, we know each other from work and um, have kind of gotten to know each other better and um, I think develop a friendship, you know? Yeah. I think really um, once I published the book is really when we started to um, probably talk about our lives more than just work. Yeah. You know? It makes it easier once you know someone else's story to, sh- <laughs> yeah. to share, right? Yeah, it's kind of this interesting thing where... I'll, I'll be talking to someone and I'll say like, oh, well, I, you probably don't know this about me, but I lived in a silent monastery. And they're like, yeah, I no, already I, know that about you. I read your book. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's exactly what happened, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it is a crazy thing for me um, having people know my story because in a lot of ways I'm very... With people that I care about, um, I share anything. But like yeah. with lots of people, I'm just very private. Lots of people feel like they don't know me, so... Um, having being exposed like that is uh, kind of a new experience, but it's it's been a great experience, you know, because it's allowed other people to sort of open up about their own stories, you know. I I like to think of it as like you're kind of in this hard things club. Yeah. And once people know that you've been through hard things, they're much more likely to actually share the hard things that they've gone through. Yeah. What do you mean by hard things club? Well, I think growing up, there wasn't a lot of hard things that happened to me. I had a you know, I have lovely parents and grew up in a cute little suburb in Texas and just did the school and then college thing. And when I had friends that went through hard stuff, whether it was like abuse or divorce yeah, or yeah. death, you know, I wasn't the person they would go to and talk about it. Because gotcha. it's harder to relate when from the outside it looks like, oh, well, your whole life has been fine. You don't really understand grief or suffering. Which I guess and to some extent is accurate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, once you go through hard things, having those conversations with people and those first couple experiences where people actually open up to you about their life yeah. was really, really, really rewarding. Hopefully it's like that for you. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, it's at the same time, it's heavy, but yeah. it's also really rewarding. And it's also really humbling. You know, I've had various people sort of, you, I think we're having one conversation, but because they've read my book, they feel comfortable sharing, you know, the hard things in their life, you know, and, and when people are sharing, I'm, I'm surprised, you know, I'm not like surprised in a way that I don't want them to. I'm surprised that they feel comfortable sharing those stories Mm. about who they are because I know how difficult it is to open up. You know, I think about like how, when I was writing my book, it took forever, you know, it took like five years or more. Yeah. Because there were periods or moments or events that I couldn't process. I still couldn't process moments sure. from my childhood, you know, that I'm 45. Right. So there's a lot of emotions when someone decides to share their story with me. Um, but yeah, it definitely feels rewarding um, in the sense that we can share maybe the experience wasn't like what they went through is not what I went through. but we can sort of lighten the load of each other, you know? Agreed. I feel like that's really what it is. I feel a little lighter when I hear someone else's story because it's almost validating my own healing process, if that makes sense, or at least it takes something that was really hard and terrible 
and the feeling of being able to provide some comfort to someone almost makes a horrible situation not worth it. It's not doesn't feel like the right word, yeah. but it brings something. It brings a good outcome to a situation that had a bad outcome. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm I'm working on a another book actually. Nice. Uh, well, it's an idea right now. I don't know if it's it's a book, but it's an idea. And one of the things I was thinking about the other day was how, for me anyway, as I was thinking about my life, it's like mm-hmm. things are more real to me when I can share it with someone else. Mm. You know, and even like when I was learning math, you know, like I really like math for, since I've been a kid. It's something I've really been into. I always found myself trying to teach other people math. <laughs> you know what I mean? And of course, they laugh at me. Yeah, like, that doesn't interest me at all. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Yeah. And so it's little stuff like with, um, with our daughters, you know, they're going through, uh, you know, like, early trig right now trigonometry and i'm like yeah i remember all this stuff like yeah let's just go through it you know and the events you know we're talking about hard things that happen to us in our in our lives and i i'll ask you this after i sort of describe it if you feel the same way but i feel like for me even the hard things in my life like i'm talking about you know uh how much i like math and helping our kids or helping friends or something like that it just it excites me um, and I think it's the same thing with hard things in my life and bad experiences that I've gone through until I can, um, I don't know if share, like verbally share is the right way to think about it, but, um, help other people. It, it like takes on a different, um, experience for me. I, c- I think for me, when I was in the thick of the hard things, I used to look at people who would share their story and say things like, oh, I would go through it all again to get to where I am. And I'm like, F you. (laughs) (laughs) I would never feel that way, right? Like, I'm never going to get there. Do I believe I'm going to be okay? Yes. But I just don't see myself ever being able to get to that point. Yeah. And I think now that I'm at that point where I look back on it and I think, you know, I would never want to, and you know, we don't even have this choice. We don't get to choose whether yeah. we can go back or not. So right, it's irrelevant. Right, right, right. You know, I, f- I have empathy for the other people that were involved outside of myself. Cause there was a lot of other people that were hurt along the way too. Yeah. So obviously I would never wish suffering on anyone else. But for me, I can truly look back on it and think like I, if someone just gave me the point blank question, would you go through it again? with you know no one else's feelings considered because we can't actually go back yeah, and do it again yeah, yeah. i would i would do it to get you right would. i would because i love my life so much and yeah. i love the skills that i've learned and i also don't think grief and death and mental health and hard stuff you don't escape those yeah in life you mean in life yeah yeah so i was gonna have to learn how to grieve eventually yeah. and now i feel like i just have some really good grieving skills <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and so just you know the idea for this podcast came about when we were having lunch. Mm-hmm. How long ago was it? Was it two weeks now? Ish. Yeah, I'd say that's Yeah, it's about two weeks. And I'm sure we'll get into this and you'll share as much as you feel comfortable. Sure. Um, but you were telling your story and it just really impacted me. I, I told you, I think I texted you early in the morning one day. It was a Saturday <laughs> at like six in the morning. I'm not up until at least 10 routinely. Yeah. Well, we had the conversation um, and... You know, as you were sharing your story, I just was really impacted. And 
it resonated with with my life and the stories that I hear of other veterans, mm -hmm. you know, and I just was like, I, I usually know that something means something for me yeah. when it wakes me up in the night, yeah. right? When I wake up and I can't stop thinking about it and I want to start writing or uh, text myself little things and that's what happened. So I don't know um, if you want to sort sure. of share a little bit of your story for the podcast. Yeah, I can kind of jump into it. I'll give a little bit of his background because it's relevant to sort of the military focus yeah, and yeah. passion that, that we share from this regard. But yeah. um, I was married to a veteran. He was in the army. He enlisted um, after getting kicked out of one of the military academies for injury reasons. Oh, wow. So he didn't do anything wrong. But what happened was he was in one of the programs that they do over the summer break where you mm -hmm. go to different military schools, sure. right? Yeah. And he was accidentally pushed off a 30-foot tower. Oh, no. And fell down. He oh, was in the no. hospital for a couple of days. I mean, if you can imagine, yeah. he was lucky to walk away with yeah. his life at yeah, that point, that's right? Yeah, crazy. And obviously there was some, you know, well, luckily he had a minor back injury, gave him a really bad concussion. Oh, uh, yeah. That was one of many, many concussions he'd received up until you know, his 19 year old life oh my goodness. because of football. He was oh, a really wow. competitive football player, played, I come from a really big football town in Texas. Okay. So he yeah. played for the high school. He played yeah. competitive, very elite football. Sure. He had so much brain damage from all the concussions from that, that he was actually part of a groundbreaking study at 17 or 18 that mapped the damage in his brain, oh, my where goodness. they were able to actually see indentions in his brain tissue oh, no. from all the damage. Wow. So. If you can imagine knowing what we know now, even though that was only, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, how much we know about CTE and yeah. how much brain damage is connected. So anyways, fast forward to when I meet him, he was just out of the military. He had spent, I think, three or four years and then ended up getting not dishonorably discharged. Medically discharged? Yes, because he was an alcoholic. Ah. And so he was having trouble, even in the military at that time, gotcha. making sure he was showing up to work in a fit state. And he was enlisted, so he was in the infantry. Gotcha. So he went to a service academy and then medically left and then joined the military. Yes. So okay. he falsified his papers <laughs> to, to be able to enlist because he always wanted to serve, which yeah, is a yeah. pretty, I think, noble, it's honorable respectful, desire, honorable yeah. thing to do. Yeah, so I, sure. I thought, you know what? Good for you. And he was functionally very fine. So yeah. he, like I said, he was in the infantry for several years. He was never deployed, but he talked a lot about how that time affected him because he was in a base in the middle of nowhere and all everybody did was drink and the culture you know in the infantry he used to say and i'm not saying that this is true for everyone sure. but that yeah. sometimes the military can be in a you know a wonderful way oh, to get yeah. out of a difficult oh, yeah. life circumstance or to overcome poverty yeah, i mean i think that's a big value that the military provides yep. and so regardless he was really struggling with alcoholism left the military I met him a couple months after that. Okay. At that point, he was sober, doing great, getting his life back on track. Yeah. Um, Where were you? In Dallas. In Dallas. At the time, yeah. Okay. And so when I when I met him, he was 
happy and healthy and you know I'm not sure how much exposure you've had to people who are in the program but not a lot when you're going through or when you've been through the 12 steps a lot of the tenets of sobriety are really great yeah service yeah right a relationship with the higher power yep. we shared that in common yeah he grew up in church i did too and we actually went to high school, the same high school and middle school. Uh-huh. Did you know each other? Not very well at all. Oh, yeah. Oh. I, he actually messaged me on Facebook <laughs> when he got back from the army. Oh, okay. Which I thought was really funny, but yeah. he was really cute, so yeah. I responded. <laughs> and, nice. you know, then we dated, and I graduated from college. He enrolled back in school. Okay. He was a year younger than me oh, okay. anyway, so with the whole military delay and everything sure. else, he had some schooling left. Gotcha. So we, when when we dated, he basically got to the point where he decided that it was more. Um, this is going into a lot of detail, but I do think it's relevant to oh, kind of understand yeah. his headspace yeah. and how he was impacted. He got to the point where he basically believed that it was his immaturity and the environment that he was in that caused him to abuse alcohol, and not that he was really an alcoholic. Gotcha. And so he'd gone through the twelve steps already by this point. Oh yeah. Before yeah, yeah. I had even started really hanging out with him, he okay. was had just decided, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm just Yeah. Right? Like regardless of whatever label you want to put on it, yeah. I just don't care. I need to get my life back together. Whatever it takes, I'm getting my life whatever together. Whatever it takes. Yep. And you know, he had gotten a DUI and he rode his bike to the train. Oh, yeah. To I mean, he was yeah. working hard right. to get everything. I mean, I was really respected the fact that he was Taking charge of his life. Absolutely. Yep. you got to appreciate that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. And especially when someone is, I don't know if he was at quote-unquote rock bottom, oh, but when you see someone and you're thinking to yourself, this is all they'll ever be. This is the only life they can live. And right. then they say, no, I'm going to live a different life. Right. Right. And whatever it takes, you know, like I said, you know, you got to work at McDonald's, ride your right. bike to work, you, whatever it takes to get your life to be what you believe it can be, you have to respect people when they do that. I did, and I admired it. And I thought, well, if this is how you overcame that situation, there's nothing you're not going to be able to overcome. And I just thought, you know, he he drank appropriately while we were together. And we were, we dated for almost two, two and a half-ish years before we were married. And I just felt like that was plenty of time to To really, to make sure that alcohol wasn't going to be an issue. So... When you met, he was sober, and then some point in time while you were dating, he started drinking again and said, I can, you know. I can handle it, yeah. and it was appropriate. I mean, sure. I was there. I, we would eat dinner, and he'd have one beer. Yeah. And we didn't drink a lot. I'm not that big of a drinker. Yeah. I just buy my nature. It's just, yeah. it's fine. I enjoy it occasionally. You sure. know, I like the way it tastes, <laughs> So yeah. I thought I had done my due diligence, if that makes sense. I yeah, like that's definitely. a pretty long period of time. Yeah, for sure. And then I thought, okay, worst, 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 worst case. Nightmare scenario. He does have issues with alcohol again. Well, he overcame it once. He'll kick it again. He'll kick it again. Exactly. That's literally what I thought. So if you fast forward to five months into marriage, he sits me down and says, I'm having an issue again. Oh. There are, you know, obviously I was very emotional and upset. Yeah. And. Did you know? I mean, was that. I had no idea. Really? No. That's the thing with. I think a lot of alcoholics, chemically in their body, it's different. Mm. He can be drunk, and I can't even tell. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So very, and that goes to, I mean, that's a testament there to how 
differently his body processes alcohol. Uh. And so at that point, I say, forsake all alcohol. I won't ever drink again. I don't care at all. That yeah. is so not worth it to me. Yeah. We're still going to have a great life. And you said that you were emotional. And you were emotional because he had gone back on what he said he was going to do. I think I was scared. Scared that he wasn't going to be able to kick it. Yes. And just scared that the, the fear that I thought wasn't justified was justified. Mm. I mean, I really, I, I was always, well, in elementary school, I wasn't a straight A student, but <laughs> middle school and high school, I was a straight A student, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a by the book yeah. type of person. And it was just scary to think this person that I love is suffering too, right? It's yeah. hard to see someone that you love, especially your spouse, yeah. struggle. And, you know, the other thing with drinking and alcoholism is it can be very deceitful because you end up having to lie mm. to cover up your tracks. And so I knew that he had been lying to me about certain things, whether mm. it's where he was or ah. what he was doing or who he was with. Gotcha. And that hurts too when your spouse, that hurts the trust that you yeah. have between sure. a spouse. So he was out going to the bars or something like that with friends? or Had to have been. <coughs> I mean, I was working Got long it. hours. My career was kind of taking off. Gotcha. I loved my job. And he had a more flexible position. He was, at that point had started to get into real estate. Oh, okay. And we had these dreams of, you know... He actually had a property management company that he started with a friend. Okay. We were going to buy rentals, you know, and kind of be real estate gurus. Yeah, right? yeah. I loved it. He loved it. it. I was kind of working to create capital, and then he was going to deploy that capital. Gotcha. Yep. So there's a lot of trust there. There has to be. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's your spouse. That should be the one person you can trust more than anyone else in the world. Yeah. So yeah. to have that kind of faltered is is really hard i'm sure yeah. lots of people can relate to that <laughs> yep definitely definitely so if you fast forward through there over the next two years it was a lot of oh i'm gonna be good yeah i won't ever drink again and then i find a four loco in his underwear drawer oh, when i'm putting away laundry like that's not like you can't that's yeah. a terrible place to hide why don't you just put it in the trash or go put it in we live in an apartment you could put it anywhere right and yeah. but that i mean you know your brain's just not healthy when you're drinking right. and then there would be a big issue and then it was oh, okay well you know i'm gonna stop it's gonna get better i'll go to meetings i'll do this i'll do that and we would go through a couple months things were really great I mean, I loved him. We had such a good time together. Yeah. I, he had, comes from an amazing family. I still talk to his parents and That's great. You know, to this day, and yeah. I love them so much. And so there were a lot of really good times mixed in with all these really difficult bumps. But um, he got a, another concussion wakeboarding that led to a complete loss of use of his fingers because oh, wow. it turns out that was some kind of neck injury. At some point, they thought he, he had to get an MRI. They thought he had MS. Oh, really? And then he had to get a spinal tap to figure that out. Because yeah. they could actually see tissue necrosis in oh his brain. Oh, my goodness. Which, and half of it was patterned like MS and half of it wasn't. So after the spinal tap, they figured out, you don't have MS, but you do have Lyme disease. Oh. Who knew? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, so, Is there a connection at all? It's I just, have no idea. Yeah. 
but <clears throat> I think he slowly healed, got his use of his fingers back, but obviously that was pretty traumatic. Yeah. And his short-term memory was infected. And if he, you know, he'd already had so many brain injuries. He was honestly, I can say, never the same after, after that because he started to struggle even more with sort of depression and anxiety and mood swings and cognitive mm. processing. Yeah. And if you fast forward a little further, I was traveling a lot for work. Mm. I mean, two or three days a week. Yeah. I was gone. That leaves a lot of time alone. Right, alone. Yeah. And um, I met him for a weekend trip for, he kind of came out with me for work, which was really fun. Yeah. yeah. And then when we came back, he told me that, it was a Sunday night, and he said, I'm going to the library to finish a paper, which he'd told me he'd finished the day before. Ah. Uh, and the library wasn't open. Ah. Uh, and he came back at 2 or 3 in the morning, yeah. just blitzed out yeah. of his mind. And at that point, I knew he was having issues again. And he just kept going back to the bar and wouldn't change. And he was using my credit card. Oh, no. So I got access and then figured out, like... You would go to the bar and spend two hundred dollars in one night. Yeah. Well, you're obviously not just right. spending money on yourself. Yeah. It's a local bar. The bar, the beer's like six bucks. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yep. I confronted him and never really got him to fully admit that he was cheating, but he would do really weird stuff. Like I'd go to bed at ten p.m. on a on a Friday. He'd take a shower, leave, come back at six a.m. in the morning, and oh, no. say like, "Oh well, I was working on one of the houses. I was painting." When he had no pain on him, oh. he wasn't tired. Oh no! Right, so it's like I know you're out yeah. doing something sketchy. Right, and so yeah. I talked to some counselors and my pastor. Yeah, and they were all like, "This is not healthy. It's yeah. not okay." You know, he's abandoned your marriage because, from a spiritual perspective, I needed sort of to feel like I could walk away. Sure. Yeah, and nice. I really did not think he was ever going to get better while I was paying all his bills. Oh, right. He had no accountability. Like it came down to the fact that for him, like even for him, he was way too comfortable. Why would he ever, gotcha. you know, become sober again? So anyways, I kind of got everything in order and went to him and said, I got promoted. I'm moving to Kansas city. You're not coming. Uh, and here's how we're going to handle everything. And he said, okay. And he said, okay. He said, okay. Didn't fight? Nope. Oh. He went to his parents' house, told his parents. And I think I, I, I think he felt so much shame. Oh, yeah. That I, I don't think he knew how to get out of the pattern that he was in. Gotcha. And probably felt so much shame that he... Didn't fight. Was a little relieved. Yeah. You yeah. know, from that perspective. Yeah. Not that he didn't love me or want to be married, but... Um, so any, anyways, I moved. We got divorced. I started a brand new life. Yeah. Um, I love Kansas City. Yeah. We're sitting there here yeah, yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we met. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. yeah. And I, lo I love my job. I love my friends. I was really diligent while we were married to go through counseling. And then after we were married, I was even after we were divorced, I was even more diligent and yeah. coming to a brand new space and having, that must've helped. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't think I would have healed as well or as definitely not as quickly as I did. And you got to imagine anybody who's been divorced, I've talked to, I think this is common, but your marriage ends a thousand times before it really ends. Uh, I mean, it's a, yeah. Say more about that. Well, 
when he was having those issues and lying and drunk driving oh. and I mean, went to the bar, lost his keys. I come home, his rearview mirror is gone, and he has some story about how he hit a cone. What? His car was a complete wreck because he rushed into things. Oh. And, I mean, so if you can imagine the stress also of he's sober, he's good. Our dreams are still going to come true. We're going to have a family. We're going to get live this long life together. I never yeah. stopped loving him. Yeah. I saw who he was apart from his alcoholism. And I loved that person. Yeah. But you can't have both people. Yeah. Or you can't have one person. You can't have the person you love without the yeah. disease. Yeah. And I wanted so badly for him to be okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So badly. Um, and when he does well, you think, oh, I'm okay. We're okay. And then he's not. crashing down. And it's like the end of the world every time. Yeah. And it's so hard and stressful and emotional to yeah. think, okay, everything's going to be okay. And then, I mean, no one gets married planning on getting divorced. Yeah, right. Right. right? And right. there's some stigma that comes with it. Even today, I mean, people are pretty open. But yeah. it's still really embarrassing to go through that process, I think, and feel like you failed. Yeah. You know, I've never been married, um, but I do hear people say that, you know. Yeah. So for me, it's a different perspective. It's sort of like people get divorced all the time. Right. You know, so when I when someone tells me they're divorced, I'm like, okay. But yeah. I do hear other people say that it carries some stigma with it for them. Yep. I think it is a personal choice to carry yeah. that or not. Yeah. And I have gotten to the point now where I don't care. Yeah. Right. I don't. Yeah, know? I mean, you made the right choice for you, right? The choice to make sure your life is healthy. And I, I am proud of how I handled that situation. Yeah. And I wish he was okay and it had turned out differently, but it didn't. Yeah. And I treated him with respect and kindness the whole time. And I feel like I was generous when I left. And I, I gave him half our savings, hoping that he would check into a program oh, or yeah. use it for tuition. Like yeah. he had enough money and a paid off car. Oh, wow. He could have been fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's not the route that he chose. Yeah. And, you know, they say when you're in the program that, you know, you either beat it or it beats you. Yeah. And so if you kind of fast forward to about a year after we were divorced, I got a call from a detective and he had said that he wanted to confirm where his parents lived. And so I confirmed it for them. We got off the phone. I just figured he'd gotten another DUI oh, or something, yeah. right? Yeah. It's happened before. Yeah. And I texted his parents to just to give them a heads up. And I got a call, I don't know, a couple hours later. And it was his mom. And she had said that he shot himself in the head. Oh, man. And she was on her way to the hospital. Oh, no. Um, and what had happened was the night before... He actually texted me mm. and said something weird about, and I deleted them because it was just hard for me to see his yeah. messages on my yeah. phone, right? Yeah. I, I never would have thought, and anyone his, in his life would have never thought that he would have ever killed no, himself. Yeah. So I, it was just never even a thought that occurred to me. Sure. But he texted me something about how he needed to confirm my phone number because something, right? It's just, he, yeah. just, he was Odd. just he knew I wasn't going to respond. Yeah. So he created a, a situation that he knew I would respond to. Yeah. Okay. So, Got it. so I responded and just said like, yes, this is still my phone number. Yeah. And then he said something like, I just want you to know that I always tried. 
Mm. And I didn't respond back. Now I know looking back that that was him saying yeah. he was sorry and yeah. he was saying goodbye. Yeah. And um, he called 911 and then shot himself. Mm. And eight pounds, seven pounds, whatever that Will Smith movie is, yeah, yeah, where yeah. he like picks people to donate all his organs to and yeah. then kills himself. Yeah. That was one of his favorite movies. Uh. And I know he did that because he like he called 911 so that they could still save his body and harvest all his organs yeah so they were able to donate all his organs oh wow and i mean 50 some odd donations oh, just wow. ev- literally anything and everything you could donate they yeah. donated yeah his heart his lungs i mean everything yeah. and so anyways when his mom called me and told me that i was obviously shocked that's not what i thought was going to happen yeah and she had only told her husband and then i was her next phone call and she was driving to the hospital I'm to sure go she was hysterical yeah and then before she walked in she was alone yeah and before she walked in she asked me to pray for for her and that was that was a tough moment but anyway so they went through all of that and i did come back home for the funeral and that's actually where i got confirmation that he had been cheating because one of his best friends that i knew asked me what had happened between us and it only really hurt his side of the story and so we Uh, talked about it a little bit and he he made he confirmed that he was actually at the bar with him Hmm. when he was, you know, engaged in those activities. And no one, none of those friends that he had made knew that he'd ever been married. Oh, wow. And so a lot of them, I think actually came to the funeral and they ended up having, there were so many people at the funeral. They had to put chairs in the entryway. Oh really? I mean, he was very well loved and came from a wonderful family and was this, the kind of guy who just lights up a room. Who's really, you know, fun and always been well super well liked and there's quite a few people from high school that came oh wow yeah and then all of our kind of adult friends that we'd made attended so anyways it was sort of sad but validating that i was right he had been you know cheating and yeah still horrible horrible super hard to process i went back to counseling you know and really grieved a lot more than i than I thought I would, but I had already had to let him go. Yeah, right. You know, but it, it's always difficult when when you see someone suffering and you need, like you want so much for them to make better choices. And, you know, I just had to come to, I guess, accept the fact that that was the, the choice he made. Yeah. And I am relieved he's not suffering because he was obviously an incredible amount of suffering yeah but i guess that's kind of feel pretty good about not good because that's a horrible situation and i I wish he was alive i wish he was doing better i really thought i genuinely thought he would eventually beat it yeah i didn't know when i knew it wasn't going to happen if i stuck around but i really thought he was going to make it yeah one of the things that really struck me when we were talking at lunch uh, a couple weeks ago or so is when you talked about having compassion mm-hmm. and accountability, like having compassion for your ex-husband mm-hmm. and still holding him accountable. Yeah. And I just thought that that is such a, um, it's something I don't, I don't see a lot or hear a lot, you mm-hmm. know, when we're in relationships and one person sort of breaks that trust, a lot of times it's just anger, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just the accountability part. Yeah. But you don't hear a lot about the empathy. Yeah. For me, it's easier to process the situation if I can 
understand that he had a sick brain. Yeah. And I don't take it as personally. You know, and everyone's situation is so unique, right? So, I mean, and I know there's a lot of infidelity in marriages where there's not mental illness. Yeah. Um, perhaps it would have been harder for me to be compassionate if that were the case. Got it. But for him, I, I truly don't believe that he would have cheated if it weren't for the issues that he was having from alcoholism because I think it put a lot of pressure on our marriage because obviously I really wanted and expected him to be sober and when he couldn't live up to that yeah. could not live up to it I think it really hurt I think he carried a lot of shame from from that and so you know initially I think I was really angry that I was even in the situation that the, this life I thought I had completely fell apart and I was starting all yeah. over. Yeah. But I, I guess I just have peace with it all now because I can look at it as I see you suffering. I saw you trying and I'm just going to choose to see where you were trying. And then, you know, it's, it's still on you. Yeah. You still don't get to cheat and to lie and to right. do those different things and right. expect me to, I'm not going to stick around for that, but it doesn't mean that I don't love you yeah. and feel bad that you have had this difficult situation. I mean, I'd be interested to know if people, other people who are loved ones of addicts have felt a similar yeah, you know, the, the reason, I, you know, there's a personal reason. So, you know, hearing your story is emotional because of the details of it. Mm -hmm. But it's also emotional for me because, I mean, uh, the specifics are different. But um, there are parts of the story that resonate with me, mm -hmm. you know. And so when I first, you know, one of the things you talked about is like the stages of processing sort of traumatic events. Yeah. And, you know, I spent 13 years off back and forth to the Middle East, as, as you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you already know that about me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, as I've done more and more podcasts, I've come to realize that I have trouble admitting the impact that that time overseas has had on me as a person. Yeah. You know, and so when I first moved to Kansas City... I'm glad I said it out loud, but I'm, as I look back, I'm surprised. One of the things that I kept saying over and over to Jeremy, and I was seeing a therapist as well, yeah. um, was I'm at war with myself. Yeah. There's an Alex who has spent all this time overseas in combat, separated from friends, separated from family, um, constantly moving around, job to job doing whatever I want, you know, obviously not anything, but like if I want to take a job here, I can take a job there. And if I want right. to leave that, I can go over here. And if I'm at home with my friends and family and someone says, Hey, we need you to go to wherever for a job, then I would just up and go. Right. And that created, I don't know what the right word is, but it's something like disconnectedness, hmm. you know, being ungrounded. That was, a part of me that I lived for a long time. Yeah. But at the end of that time, 
I knew there was something wrong with how I was living my life. Like, I was just disconnected. But the part of me that knew something was wrong had been muted for so long and ignored for so long and pushed to the side that it was just like a whisper. And so when I moved to Kansas City, I was like, I need to settle down. I need to, like, start a new life. But it was just a whisper. And like I said, I'm constantly fighting this need to, I'm going to say sabotage relationships. And I don't mean it like I was necessarily doing anything, but constantly looking for excuses to up, pack up and go, right? Well, that's what you were used to. So if you had something here that was would prevent you from being able to willfully whenever you, you know, yep. that maybe commitment yep. that you had from a relationship standpoint, yep. whether declared or not, you know, relationships of all kinds, right. you know, your, your new life was sort of different than yeah. the old life. And part of you knew you wanted that. Right. But then the other part of you was very comfortable yep. with your free, I guess, <laughs> freedom. freedom. Yeah. 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 And like I said, I mean, and so I, the struggle was, changing the way that I thought about freedom, mm. changing the way that I thought about what I wanted out of life. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of person, you know, like you said, you're straight A student after, after elementary school. <laughs> and I've just been a really driven ambitious type person, you know, and like I said, just sort of done and went anywhere. And so like it, it, the, the reason I'm hesitating is because the words will say, oh, I was tied down. I wasn't free coming to Kansas City made my life worse, all sorts of stuff. Those were the thoughts that would come through my head every now and again, you know? From the fear part of your From the fear part of my brain. But right. that was the loud part of my brain. Yeah. I'll tell you a very, um, it's, <laughs> I don't really want to tell the story, but um, I think, it, I think like you said, it's important to share the way that what I call like the beast or the animal mm -hmm. inside of me sort of rears its head up. You know, one time, um, it was just one night, and Jeremy and I had been out with friends, and we came home, and this beast, this animal, that's inside of me sort of just out of nowhere just attacked me. And in the book, yeah. I write about those moments when I'm just overcome with emotions, and I can't lift my head up. Right. You know, and this is just um, a year ago, mm -hmm. maybe? And all I can hear in my head is, Jeremy doesn't love you. Mm. Jeremy's mm -hmm. going to leave you. This life that you're living is a farce. So get in your car right now and leave. Rather than someone else have the power to hurt you. Exactly. Control that and leave so that you were the one that decided exactly. to hurt you. Exactly. So you're in control. Exactly. That's absolutely right. You know, and I probably stood here for an hour. And Jeremy's like, what's going on? I couldn't talk. Yeah. I couldn't react. And it was like there was a war, like, in my head. Yeah. Of, you know, and there's the quiet part of me, which is like, um, this is all ridiculous. Like, what you're thinking <laughs> yeah. and feeling doesn't make any sense. It's right. not reality, you know? Um, but the loud part of me, that fear-based part of me, was just screaming and yelling. 
And so when you talk about your um, ex-husband and seeing those two sides, right? The side mm -hmm. of this is this good person, right? Who is honorable and who constantly makes choices to make, to help other people, right. even in death, right? right? To give Absolutely. back to people. Paired with this person who makes terrible illogical decisions <laughs> it's like you have every like opportunity beautiful wonderful super supportive family yeah and i think them being involved helped me really process everything yeah. because they were very supportive and you know just i can't say enough good things about his entire family and and some of those mental health issues do run in his family and i do think there was a genetic i think the brain injury was part of it. I also think the genetic predisposition, in my very unqualified opinion, yeah, yeah. right, has something yeah, to do yeah. with it. But I think if we're honest, no matter what you've been through, everybody kind of has that fear voice in their head. Yeah. Or maybe it's not fear, maybe it's anger, maybe it's something. But right. we all have some piece of us. And I think I can also notify, notice things in my life where, you know, something pops up, I think especially with relationships too, where I think, like, I have a very serious boyfriend now. I'm hoping that we get engaged and married. You yeah. know, any day now would be great. But um, <laughs> um, he's, like, everything I could have ever dreamed. And I, I do think, from a religious standpoint, that my faith really carried me through yeah. grief and through yeah. a divorce. And um, I, at one point in Kansas City, stopped and and kind of was getting in my Bible and when I was really in grief it was really hard to see yeah. how my life and my dreams were ever going to come true yeah. yeah and who would want to be with someone who'd been divorced and then um that's that fear voice in my head yeah well you're not worthy yeah. you're not going to be successful you know you're not going to be able to have the family life that you had what yeah. if it was you what if you were the problem? Mm, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, I think scripture. You know, you know, not everyone sure. is religious, yep. and you know, but for me, that really had a profound impact in the way that I was able to process because I found a lot of comfort and hope yeah. in some of the you know the promises of God and the Bible and sure. things like that. Yeah, and so yeah. that was really. A hiding place that I went to to go heal yep. and at the end of the day when that fear voice was like this pain is never gonna go away yeah you're never gonna be one of those people that looks back on this and is okay you're always gonna have this weight yeah I would say I don't believe it but I believe in God yeah and I don't think I can do it but I believe God can yeah. Do it. yeah and so that was sort of a big path for healing for sure. me and I actually wrote everything I wanted down in a husband on a list. Oh, that's at a good point. idea. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, um, like six, four, <laughs> has it dropped that gorgeous. Is, is it, yes. <laughs> Loves to go to the lake. Yeah. Has a good relationship with his parents yeah. is a leader at church. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I haven't looked at the list in a while, but I remember one time pulling it out and thinking, this is exactly what I was looking for is on this list. Yeah. And to me, it's this beautiful picture of redemption and yeah. faith and 
choosing just choosing not to believe that voice yeah and choosing to believe a different voice yeah it's you know i think a lot about i mean i think you're absolutely right you know we all have to find something outside of ourselves mm -hmm. and you read about my history with religion and mm -hmm. the impact that it's had on me and continues to have in my life you know and i think one of the things that i've learned very recently you know and i'm thinking you know one of the reasons why i wanted to have you share your story is because it's the other side from a lot of veterans right yeah. people first responders veterans whoever's dealt with sort of traumatic experiences we my, i don't think i've heard a lot from the people that we were in relationships with yeah. right and the difficulty that that can bring yeah and you know like you said the about compassion and accountability to me that's really powerful mm -hmm. right it's not looking for someone to say oh yeah yeah everything's gonna be fine everything's fine it's like no hold someone accountable for their actions but yeah. also show them compassion as they as it warrants it like you said i mean if someone's just an asshole then they're just an asshole right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's different <laughs> right but <Yeah. clears throat> one of the things that i've learned recently you know my attitude has always been to try to protect Jeremy from mm -hmm. that that loud fear-based part of me. Yeah. Right? Is to, to hide it as much as possible because it's bad, right? Like it's born out of really bad traumatic experiences. Right. And I don't want to expose him to that. Like, you know, I want to protect him because I feel like um, he deserves better. Like you are bringing weight and heavy, negative, hard things into your relationship right. and you feel bad about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I think one of the things that I've learned recently is that it's important to responsibly sort of bring Jeremy into that, mm -hmm. right? And to be able to deal with it together. Yeah. And I've just come to the point where it's like, I've, I, believed and like I said it's not alcoholism it's it's not um maybe you know not things that are as difficult for the relationship but um even all that like negative fear negative the emotions that I have I always thought that I would be able to conquer it myself yeah if you just take enough time that and protect Jeremy from it that I would get over it Right. You know, like I'm a strong person. I can do whatever. I can accomplish anything. <clears throat> and faith is, is part of the healing for me anyway. Yeah. There's also another part of turning towards Jeremy rather than trying to shield it completely. You know, that's maybe a lesson I can take home because I felt the same way. Yeah. And the other beautiful part about the relationship in now is he actually comes He's been divorced as well. Oh, okay. And um, that's his, you know, story to share. But I think we can relate to each other on a lot of different things. The situations were not, you know, not exactly the same, but relatable-ish. Sure. You know, and I think that's part of the beauty where I feel like God somehow brought two people together that no one else could relate to except each other. Yeah. It's such a unique, unique situation, but... I have the same thoughts in my head about, like, I just want to be okay. I don't want to 
bring it up again and yeah. give it power. But I yeah. think in some ways, if you have to talk yourself out of it, you're giving it power. Right. And, right. It, and I think talking about it takes away the, the power it has over, over you. Yeah. I think it really matters how we talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, in my, in my head, I'm just thinking about uh, friends of mine who mm-hmm. are also, you know, not just me, but friends of mine who, um, veterans and first responders, you know, who um, sort of keep a lot of experiences sort of tamped down. And you don't mm-hmm. find like everyday circumstances where you get to talk about it. Right. You know, and it's uncomfortable for people. Yeah. You know? And so, I, yeah, I mean, I think the way that we talk about it is really important, you know, not in a way of empowering it or um, using it as an excuse right. or a crutch, right. right? But to disempower it by calling it what it is, you know, calling it fear, mm-hmm. right? And not calling it something like, I'm a tough guy, you know, or I don't have emotions or. I can get through this, you know, but to yeah. call it what it actually is and which allows, I think, for the proper attention that it needs. I think when I was, or even still, when I have trouble, one of the things I learned to do is dig into why I'm feeling a certain way. Yeah. And if I can get down to that base fear that's yeah. really behind what I'm reacting to, yeah, then I can call it what it is and identify yeah. it and say, okay, well... I was upset at you for, you know, ordering dinner when I cooked dinner because, (laughs) you know, really I have decided that if I'm going to be a good wife, then, you know, in the future that I, I don't have time to cook. I work really long hours and I want to be able to work out and I'm not going to spend two hours cooking every night. I'm just not going to do it. But then there's the part of me that has that expectation that like if I'm going to be a good wife and that yeah. he's going to be happily, you know, yeah, yeah. my new partner is going to be happily married to me, that I'm going to have to be this perfect housewife. Yeah. And I got randomly upset about something that totally didn't matter one day. And when I stepped back from it, I had to, I realized it was such an emotional thing for me yeah. because I was holding myself to that expectation because I was afraid that I wasn't going to be good enough for my partner. Yeah. And that was really all just rooted in the fact that I didn't want to mess up again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, um, at the one of the roots of it for me is an expectation that it's all going to end in failure. Yeah. And an, an expectation that my relationship with Jeremy is going to end, and um, my friend, <coughs> friendships, and job, and everything. Right? Sure. Like I'm going to lose my cars and my properties and everything. It just right? spirals. Like, it just spirals, you know. Yeah. And I think. It's like a it's like a bounce effect, right? It's like spiral down to that bottom, and then okay, well, what do I need to do, based on fear, mm. to keep that from happening? And How do I control undoubtedly, it? Undoubtedly, right? The things that that illogical, irrational, emotional brain comes up with are the things that cause what you're trying to avoid. Yes. You know, so if I'm motivated by fear that I'm gonna lose everything, I'm gonna start doing things that will cause me to lose everything. <laughs> you, know? you seek or you, you find what you seek kind of deal exactly. so how do you how do you fix it I mean like I said I don't know that I have the 
the ultimate answer. I can say where I'm at in my life now, mm-hmm. right? And so a, fa- <clears throat> a phase or two ago, the realization for me was to vocalize it, right? It's mm-hmm. to say, I'm at war with myself. I have no idea how to solve that war. I have no yeah. idea how to fix that conflict, but I need to tell the people that are close to me mm-hmm. and myself that this is what's happening. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't have an answer. And so I think that was one phase. Um, another phase that I've gone through has been to pretend. You know, as you know the expression, fake it till you make it? Yeah. Yeah, so there's another phase where it was like, fake this life for some period of time. The life that I live now. Yeah. And what I don't mean to say is like, I don't love Jeremy and I don't enjoy my work. What I meant to say is that it's never going to be as exciting as what I used to do. It's never going to have the adrenaline and the, you know, the recognition. I'm, it's never going to be any of right. that. But that's my fear part, right? Mm, yeah, that's yeah. really loud. And it's, it's to tr- trying to tell me what metrics I should use for my life. To, dis- to, be o- to decide that you're worthy. Yeah, right. That you've created this, you need certain things to happen in order for, I mean, I think we all make those things up in our head yeah, too, right? right? Is my expectation for myself is marriage and kids, yep. and I'm going to be a great mom and all, you know, career aspirations and all these, be a great friend, whatever. Yeah. And so you always compare we compare ourselves to those expectations and then along the way i think we create worry yeah right based on in that moment in time are we on track to meet those expectations yeah. or or not which i think is sort of silly and i i'm fully one that is very goal driven yeah i need something to solve i need a problem to solve i need a goal to achieve yeah don't you dare give me a checklist because I will check every <laughs> box, you know, and I will love it. Faster than anyone else. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I think in my older age, I've been coming to realize that a lot of those expectations create worry that never comes to fruition. Yeah. Creates pressure that is dumb and pointless. Yeah. And that having like still being ambitious and having goals and doing your best and doing the right things and having integrity, all that stuff still matters. Yeah. But also sometimes you just got to let it go and realize like it's going to be okay. Life is bigger. Yeah. And sometimes I think about his suicide and it helps put stuff into perspective Mm, for me Yeah. because things aren't really that bad. Yeah. There's nothing that, and, and even my everyday today is 1000 times better than living with someone that was lying and, and cheating. And that was very, very, that was very, very stressful. And again, I wish <clears throat> things would have been different and that he would have healed. And I think right. we could have had a really, we were really happy outside of yeah, yeah. The alcoholism and those issues. Yeah. And so it's like the joy and the pain coexisted. Yeah. And I think that's like life. Yeah. And one of my friends um, posted something once. She was going through some grief because she had lost her grandfather, who was mm. really, really, really important to her. Mm. And she was having some other struggles um, as well in life. But she said, 
growing up, you know, you kind of always think, okay, well, bad things do happen, but then once you get the bad stuff, good stuff will happen. Yeah. And it's sort of this waiting period. I don't know if you felt like that before, too, but yeah. it's like, oh, things are good. Uh-oh, like, yeah. when's the bad right. thing going to happen? I got to right. pull back. Yeah. But she said, now she's not so much thinking of life in these sections. Mm. I've had a good, you know, here's a good section, something bad happened, that's a bad section. Mm. But that both of those things coexist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you asked a question, it was like, how do you deal with those um, two parts? I wish I had an answer, you know? It's like, like I said, I know that there are phases of growth for mm -hmm. me, and I'm <clears throat> less at war mm -hmm. than I was, you know? And so there was a period where I, it was like, fake it till you make it, like, mm -hmm. um, there's just a lot about when, you know, when I moved to Kansas City, there was a big difference between who I was and who I was becoming. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be the person I was becoming, mm -hmm. right? That quieter voice, but the sane, rational, like, part of me, that's the life I wanted to live. And I think I've just been um, growing into that. Yeah. You know, it's like maturing. Like, it's like growing up. I um, come to appreciate what I have more and more. You know, and I think, like I said, being able to speak that struggle, I think, is really mm -hmm. important. Like, talk about it, but talk about it in a way that doesn't empower it or use it as an excuse. Right. And to hold, you know, I have to hold myself accountable to um, to the choices that I've made. Right. You know, and that's not always easy in the sense of. I mean, I'll just, you know, give you an example, like, you know, the podcast that I've done, as I've been reflecting on it just in the past day or so, and actually just thinking about this one that we're doing today, I, you know, I hear myself saying, oh, you know, I live in the suburbs, and I don't like living in the suburbs, and I live in Kansas City, and I'm used to living, you know, in these big cities, yeah. you know, but, and I've said that a lot, but there has to come a point when these are choices that I've made for my life mm -hmm. and choices and things that I want to do and a life that I want to live. And the longer I <clears throat> try to hold on to a former life, the less likely I am to fully embrace, you know, my relationship with Jeremy, my realization or actualization of the life that I want you know so it's with Jeremy yeah. for sure but also with me like who I am you know there's a part of, there's a way that I've been changed negatively by the experiences I've gone through right and if I want to tr truly and genuinely <clears throat> live out that life that I'm choosing then it can't be a comparison oh I used to do this I used right. to do this and not to put it down or like I love the you know I love the work that I did and, and the impact that I've had and I'll always have that I'm sort of rambling which I don't normally do because I'm just realizing this as I'm saying it you know that it's probably the next phase for me yeah the next phase of growth is to because I was thinking you know it's like I've been in Kansas City for five years now and five years is half of the almost half of the time that I spent in the Middle East you know, yeah. so it's like those spans of life are starting to come closer and closer. 
It's not know? this new thing. This it's is not like this really new thing your anymore. Life now. <laughs> it's my this life. Is, this right? is home. This is home. Yeah. And so um, it's important for me to move into the next phase. Like I said, I, I don't know what it is. I haven't figured it out. I don't know how to verbalize it. But I know that I need to start something, whatever it is. Well, here's an idea for you. And I think tactically this helps me. And this is something that I learned. And I think it actually, I'm able to think this way in the moment because I have come to accept that I can have pain and joy in the mm. same moment. Yeah. I think that's a foundational understanding for me because in the moment when you have the fear brain or grief brain mm. or doubt brain that's telling you all these things, it feels so heavy yeah. and so permanent. And whatever it is that fear brain is telling me, instead of being overwhelmed by that thought or belief, fundamentally understanding that I can have good and I can have bad in the same moment, I think allows me the skill to think outside of myself in that moment, almost like you're hovering over your own body Yeah. and you're able to think, okay, self, thank you for trying to protect me. Yeah. You know, I know you're just trying to protect me from pain and that's a carnal way that our brain works. Sure. It's, that's part of what protects us. Like don't put your finger on the hot stove right. and get burned, you know? Yep. I think that's where fundamentally it comes from. But once I really had that understanding of I can have pain and joy, tactically, I find I have to do the work to focus on the joy. Ah. So don't shove down fear brain completely. Acknowledge it, feel it, feel the feels. Yep. You know, but yep. at some point you got to look at that and say like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to move on now. Yeah. Thank you fear brain for trying to protect me. But I know that that's not the truth yeah. that I'm going to choose and I'm going to stop. And I, I literally will, when I get into those spirals, I think we all do that. Sure. I stop and I envision the good things that I want to happen. Just sort of like when fear brain tells you these fears, you go, well, what if this happens and then I'm going to lose my car and then I'm going to, yeah. you know, it's a spiral. Well, I try to do the opposite with good things. So I will force myself to think about, well, what if I do get the promotion? What I'm in sales. What if, yeah. what if that deal does come through? Right. Yeah, yeah. What if, um, he does propose, yeah, right? Cause yeah, sometimes yeah. now I have these fears like, well, uh, I don't want to marry someone again and then realize you know, two years, two months, 10 years in, whatever it is, that that is not the person I thought I married. Because sure. that's what happened before. I truly yeah. didn't think he was going to have any issues. And then you wake up one day and you think, oh my God, this is my life. Yeah. And it, that, that is, so that there is some fear for, for me. But I know that's my fear brain. Yeah, right. You know, so um, tactically, what really, really helps me is forcing myself to envision and to speak out loud. Yeah. What if I those good things that could and will happen. So for me, then it creates positive emotion and then it helps bring me back out of the dark place that I was in. And gotcha. I got that idea from, uh, you are a badass. <laughs> the book. That? <laughs> I don't know that You've one. never read that? You no. Oh man, it's such a good book. And yeah. it's a book about success principles, but that's one of the things that she talks about very tactically is, 
here's how you identify the beliefs that are holding you back. Mm. And then here are some tactical ways that you go about retraining your brain because what you see and what you look for are connected. Yeah. You know, you're going to find what you're looking for. So you should make sure that gotcha. you're looking for you're the good, happy for the things. things that you want. Yeah. And technically <coughs> like when I was grieving and going through hard things, that was how I helped get out of that funk and helped process it. And that's, even if I look at my relationship and how I can see compassion and accountability is that I see all the good things that mm. he chose to do too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I chose to, instead of thinking, what a, he was cheating on me. and no, yeah. I see that like, oh my, you know, he did love me. I know he did. So for him to get to that point, like something was really wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I choose to see the good instead of. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two sides to this coin. You know, it's how do... You know, I talk a lot about veterans and first responders. How do yeah. we take responsibility, mm -hmm. keep accountability for, um, the, you know, the outcome of our experiences? You know, like when you push down your emotions and you push down all these experiences, yeah. it has an impact on you, yeah. right? And so how do we stay accountable and do the hard work that's required to on, on, you know, to pull off that burden. Like that's mm -hmm. one side of it. But then how do people who love and care about veterans and first responders walk alongside them as they do that hard work, right? Because it's not easy for the family and friends or the loved ones. It's right. not easy either, you know, and that's not something that I've um, thought a lot about. So I'm glad that you um, are able to share that story. It's just been a, um, they said when we first talked, it just really struck me. Um, one, this idea of the two sides of us. And you know, like I said, when mm -hmm. I first went to Kansas City, I always talked about how I was at war with myself. And that was one thing that really um, struck me. But it also struck me <clears throat> just thinking, and like I said, about how loved ones um, walk alongside that. And I don't know that we've come up with any answers. Maybe some our stories can help other people sort of just think through what they've done. Um, but yeah, I just want to say thanks a lot, you know, sure. um, for sharing your story. I don't know if you have any parting words that you want to share or some guidance or enlightenment for the group. No, I don't think I have any of the answers, but I do hope that us, I mean, you sharing made it comfortable for me to share. Yeah. And I hope that that is sort of a wildfire that starts. Lord knows we need compassion and kindness more than we need anything else yeah. right now as, a, yeah. as an entire country. Yeah. And so I hope that this will encourage people to share their story because everybody has a story. Yeah. And even when you don't think someone does, everybody does. Yeah. So if anyone is listening to this and you feel that nudge that you should share something with someone, whether you're a first responder or anyone who's been through anyone. any kind of abuse or trauma or anything, yeah. I would encourage you to follow that nudge and speak to someone that you trust about it. And, you know, if you're on the receiving end of that, perhaps you can share, feel comfortable to share something about you or just be there to listen. Sometimes, you know, just listening is the best thing that yeah. you can do to say, well, look, I, I see you. I, I get that that's, that would make me feel the same way. Yeah. Like, let's go grab a burger. You, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Some, when I tell people my story, they have nothing to like, there's nothing you can say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So just being there for one another 
and living life together and yeah. going through the ups and downs together, I think helps a lot. And if there's any, any last story, I'll say what you were saying at the end there kind of reminded me, I did have a really good friend from Dallas and her husband also struggles with addiction and she was a real confidant for me and is still mm. one of my best friends. And one of the things that she did that sort of inspired me was, um, the same idea. Like she had accountability for him, but she still decided to live an awesome life mm. to have fun yeah. with the girls yeah. to try and go on dates, to take care of herself, to be joyful, to have fun. Yeah. And if he wanted to be along for the ride, then he had to choose to be sober. Yeah. But yeah. it's like in her just owning her own joy and in kindness and in support, opening opportunities for him to make the right decision uh, yeah, yeah. without pressure. Idea. Like you're not, I'm not requiring you to act a certain way, yeah. but like, you know, you're not going to get high and then drive our girls anywhere. Right. right? Yeah. Yep. And so it's like, there was accountability, but yep. there was also, it was done in kindness yeah. and it's like just providing those open opportunities. Maybe that's space to have the conversation, you know, maybe, if they do something that really upsets you or makes you mad, pause, yep. think about really what's behind it and try and work through in kindness, yeah. the root of the problem yeah. instead of like, well, you didn't do the dishes. <laughs> you know what I mean? When yeah. you have a partner, like that yeah. stuff can be really annoying. <laughs> but, yeah. but you can tell you know, by how much I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah. It's, and every, every couple has those yeah. things where they're yeah, like, yeah. You put your wet towel in the laundry and I can't stand it because then it all smells, yep. you know, yep. no one, there's no one that doesn't have those stories. Yep. So it's like, we have exactly that. Yes. You just have to like try and have some humor about it. Yeah, and be yeah. Like, you know what? There are worse things to do, but I don't, I don't know. I hope, hopefully you know, yeah. this is helpful. I hope so too. But so thank you very much yeah. for uh, sharing with us and hopefully we'll have you back. Cool. Thanks. All right. Thanks.